Glory to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This time of the Holy Spirit, as we commemorated and celebrated the Feast of Pentecost, but two weeks ago, before the focus was on what our Lord has done for us, especially through the entire Paschal season, that Christ lived, died, buried, resurrected, and then ascended to the right hand of the Father, sends the Holy Spirit to enliven His church. The Sunday following Pentecost is, of course, All Saints Sunday, and then the Sunday after that is the Sunday of all the saints of North America. If we were in Serbia or Romania or Greece, it would be the all saints of those particular countries. But for us here in America, we have received an inheritance just as all of those other places in which the Orthodox Church, that we received from them the faith. We in America have a great inheritance. We look to St. Herman of Alaska St. John Maximovich, St. Tikhon, St. Innocent, Matushka Olga in Alaska, and all the work that she did there in Alaska. And we know of the great asceticism, the great wonders and workings, miracles wrought by Herman and John and Tikhon and Innocent and Peter, Madarie, etc., etc., And this Sunday, like last Sunday, is also a commemoration of the saints known but also unknown. Because we have received not only a great inheritance in all of those saints, the cloud of witnesses around us that we have depicted already in the icons, but we have all of those unknown saints. They were, if we were to read just a few more verses beyond the gospel this morning, of all the Beatitudes the virtues that are to be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit by those who follow Jesus Christ, our Lord tells us, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Who lights a lamp and then covers it up? That's not the point. You put the light out so the light can shine to enlighten the whole room, the whole house, before all men, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All that we have received from the saints before us is a great inheritance and is something that, as we've looked before, what God has done in Jesus Christ, now God is doing in the Holy Spirit applying, working out all of that our Lord has done to each and every one of us who have been sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is not in the past. That's not somewhere else. That's here. That's now. Last night at Vespers, we sang this hymn, and I'm going to use this hymn to structure the rest of this homily. 
So it's a long hymn, but we're going to do it in little sections. The hymn begins, Rejoice, O Mountains of Pennsylvania. Not something you would expect from a hymn from the Orthodox Church, right? You're thinking it's going to be the hills of, you know, somewhere, maybe even Mesopotamia, much less Mediterranean. Rejoice, O mountains of Pennsylvania. Leap for joy, O waters of the Great Lakes. Rise up, O fertile plains of Canada. I feel last night, I was, as I was hearing this, because it stops there, I feel like we need about six or seven more stanzas to actually get outside of the Great Lakes region because it seems <laughs> stuck in that portion of the country. You know, the mountains, the smoky mountains, the deserts, the gulf, the, all the waters. Because as the Psalms tell us, the whole creation rejoices. And so it's not just where our Lord walked, but it is these very valleys, mountains, and trees that rejoice and leap for joy, that rise up. Why do they do this? The hymn tells us, For the elect of Christ who dwelt in you are glorified, men and women who left their homes for a new land, with faith, hope, and patience as their armor. They courageously fought the good fight. This glory of the elect of Christ is what dwells here in Knoxville, in Oak Ridge, in Sevierville, in East Tennessee. It is the light that shines here and now. God's presence with us and among us and in us. Now the language of this hymn is very interesting. It tells us faith, hope, and patience as their armor. That armor, faith, hope, and patience as armor? We've received a great inheritance. Scriptures, especially to Israel, there is a great inheritance, what God had done for Israel and bringing them out of Egypt. For in the Old Testament scriptures, if you're familiar with scripture, there's talk of individuals, right? We have great figures of the faith. Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. All of these figures. But what are they firmly ensconced in? What are they deeply tied to? Was it that God called Abraham and said, go wander by yourself? Was it Moses, go free yourself from Egypt? No. Scripture assumes not just, not individuals. They're, you are beautiful, you're important, but you are deeply embedded, ingrained in your family. Not only in family, but even broader relationships. For Israel was tribes. They were children, household, and tribes. If you look at Deuteronomy 6, where our Lord is teaching the children of Israel, he tells them, if you are to obey and listen to the Lord, this is a blessing to your sons and your sons' sons. The scripture's perspective is not just you or your soul. That is absolutely important. That is the responsibility that you have before God. But all of us have more than that responsibility. We have the responsibility 
of our inheritance. We receive an inheritance. We are given an inheritance in our children. I missed Father's Day last Sunday. So this little bit's going to be for the fathers. There is a special call and vision for fathers. If you read scripture, is the father is the head of the household who sets the vision. And we know this practically. What is the faith of children if the father is not active in his faith? What is the percentage of them saying faithful? It basically nosedives if the father is not active in church. This is almost a kind of mm, caricature, right? Mom is very devout and pious. Dad's kind of present, but maybe outside most of the time. Scripture assumes an authority that is given to fathers to lead specifically, and this doesn't just mean bring home the bacon, be the breadwinner. This means the one who sets a vision is responsibility of leadership, setting the tone and vision of a family. It should be dad who summons everyone to prayer. It should be dad who teaches. Mom is always going to be there. Mom is always going to help. Mom is always going to give him that swift kick or pull him by the scruff of the neck because God knows dads need help. (laughs) Because let's be honest, the past few generations, there hasn't been a lot of example. There's a lot of absence. So there's a responsibility specifically for fathers to teach, to lead in prayer. This doesn't mean just individual private prayers. This means praying as a family together and teaching. We're very used to because we have the school systems that we have developed to not teach in the homes or that we can rely on Sunday school. I'm going to tell you, you can't rely just on Sunday school. Sunday school is not going to give everything. It is wonderful. It is great. I'm very thankful for Sunday school. It's a tool, and we need all the tools that we can possibly get for the challenges that we have before us. But there is a special responsibility for teaching for fathers and for mothers, children. Paul tells us, specifically fathers in Ephesians 6, this is where he's talking about all sorts of different responsibilities, but he specifically points to fathers, and he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't exacerbate them. If you're a father, you know what that means. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is not just mom's responsibility. This is a responsibility to fathers. If you didn't receive an inheritance from your father, you have received it in the church through the fathers and mothers of the church. You want to give something to your son, to your daughter, to your son's son, to your son's son's son. I'm going to start getting lost here. Son's son's son. We want a vision where there's an inheritance to give. That the the faith is not just a flicker and then... Because there's a whole lot of wind blowing right now. I think one of the basic challenges that we have before us is to realize... When I was growing up, there was a lot that you could just assume... That everything is just going to be okay. That basically everybody has, even if they're not really active in church, there's kind of a Christian belief around. 
That is not so anymore. Just talk to some of the 20-somethings right now. Talk to the teenagers. You know what's going on in schools. You know what's going on out there. There is a lot afoot. And Christians are in the bullseye for a lot of these things. This is the faith. We're supposed to have hope. This isn't a time for despair. It's not a time for us to bow down before this. Our faith is the backbone, but is the hope that we look to God. This is armor. This is protection for our son's son, that they will receive the faith. The very first All-American Council was presided over by St. Tikon. This is where the church came together because they realized, as the hymn tells us, that we receive the faith from somewhere else, right? It was those who looked like Abraham were called out, some of them for spiritual reasons, others because they needed a job. They needed to make, to make a life for their family. And they came here and they labored. But at some point, they realized they had to stay here. They weren't just going to stay here, work a little bit, and then go home. They were going to stay here. Do you know what the theme of the first All-American Council was? Expand the mission. That was the theme. We're talking 1907. Expand the mission. So what did they do? All of the saints unknown to us, those who are working in mines and factories, they put their money aside and they built things in hope that their son's son would have a place to baptize their son's son's son, where they would be wed, where they would be buried. We act and pray in faith and hope in God's work. Patience. Faith, hope, and patience as armor. I'm going to go back and again reiterate. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. You see a goal... You see what needs to be fulfilled, but that word is especially strong for you. Be patient. Love. Love. Your children need to be corrected. They need to be disciplined. They need to be taught. They need to be shown the way, but you have to be patient. You have to pray for them. As one of the modern saints says, pray as much or more than what you even talk to your children. It's a great basic rule because we love to talk. Dads love to talk. At least my dad did and I do. (laughs) But we need to be patient with our children. We need to expect slow growth in Christ for them because guess what? You and I are growing slowly in Christ. None of us are shining with uncreated light. None of us have made it. We need patience as an armor to keep our faith and hope alive. The hymn goes on to say, courage to fight the good fight. It's interesting. There's military language here. We have armor, and now we need courage to fight the good fight. Courage is not a virtue that we talk about that much. It is a virtue sorely missing today. Because let's be honest, scripture assumes that there's a fight and that we are in a fight. What do we hear in the Beatitudes? Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. What are we supposed to do? Complain about it? 
get on Twitter and make a huge storm about it? Maybe we can start meme farming and just complain, 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 cynicism, cynicism, faith, hope, patience, and courage. They're going to revile and persecute you falsely. This is assumed. Scripture assumes, and this might jar you a little bit, Scripture assumes you have enemies. When I was growing up, I was like, enemies? I don't really understand this. I don't know of personal enemies of mine. I'm sure they exist somewhere. But there are enemies. Why else would our Lord tell us to love our enemies? The Psalms assume that they are enemies. This does not mean that we are looking to destroy a particular individual. That is not what scripture means. But as a realization that there is a fight, there are those who are against our Lord, who are enemies of the faith. They want to destroy the faith. If you don't think that or believe that, I don't know what to tell you. That is what scripture tells us. Scripture tells us they exist. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to to turn the other cheek. We're supposed to speak kindly, pour coals on their head with our kindness because they don't want that. The reason why we aren't courageous in the good fight is because most of the time we're too concerned about what others think of us. We want everybody to like us. But Christianity does not, and our Lord does not assume that everybody is just going to like us in default. This language of fight the good fight is found two times in the New Testament. It's found in 1st and 2nd Timothy. And I encourage you, these are not books of the Bible that we spend as much time in because we read the Gospels and a lot of Romans, the other Pauline epistles. But... First and Second Timothy have a lot of specific aspects of discipleship that we need to attend to. Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. To fight the good fight is to confess the Lord in front of many witnesses. And the example is obviously in our Lord Jesus Christ who made that confession before Pontius Pilate. The one who could destroy him. Who is going to kill him. He even tells him this. Don't you understand what's going on? Are you unaware of the situation that you're in, Lord? But he knew. And what is the confession? That Jesus Christ was the king. That he was the Lord. Paul tells Timothy, I charge you. We're not used to this language, but this is language for all of us. We are charged by the apostles to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be more aware, more concerned, not what others think of us but what the end and what our Lord will say to us. In 2 Timothy, we have the same language of fight the good fight. Again, Paul charging Timothy, I charge you, I commission you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be urgent in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort. Be unfailing in patience and in teaching. 
This is not just a word to bishops. This is not just a word to Timothy. This is not just a word to priests. This is not just a word to deacons. This is a word and a commission to all who have apostolic responsibilities, who have been sealed in the gift of the Holy Spirit, who have received the inheritance that we have, that we are to, before the presence of God, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season to respond, to convince, to argue, to rebuke and exhort, and to, of course, be unfailing. We need that, that armor of patience and teaching. Why? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own likings and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Paul is very clear. The reason why you need to do all this in the presence of God before his throne, being commissioned with an apostolic responsibility, is because people are not going to want sound teaching. It's going to happen. It happened in the apostles' time. It happens today. They have itching ears. They want to hear what they want to hear. They want their own likings, their own mind to be appeased. And they will turn away from what the church teaches, what scripture teaches, to wander into, what does Paul say? Myths. Not what the church teaches. Myths. This is what all of us are called to in receiving this inheritance. The hymn continues, Never failing to worship God in spirit and truth and unyielding in devotion to his most pure mother, they erected many temples to his glory. You're probably wondering if I was going to go that direction. Well, it's in the hymn. Erecting many temples in his glory. You, also me, right? You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. This is why you have the Holy Spirit. This is why you have the inheritance that you have. Not to squander it, but to protect it, to make that flame grow. This means teaching, exhorting, rebuking. It means to envisioning, setting up shop here for generations to come. Not just for our children, but for our children's children and beyond. Because we need a place to gather, to be faithful, to baptize, to wed, to catechize, and to bury, to sing each other into eternity, to have our children's children remember us. This is one of those challenges of being converts, right? We don't have this lineage that we can pray for in commemoration of the Panahitas, to remember all of the faithful who have gone on before us. They're faithful in Christ, thank God, but... They were not orthodox. They didn't have the fullness of the inheritance. That we have our grandchildren remembering us and praying for us. We need this. We want this because our grandchildren need it. We need this because I'm just going to put this. We need a school. We need space. We need a cemetery where we can on Radonitsa, which is the Tuesday after uh, where we can begin remembering the dead, that we can go out into the cemetery and see our grandparents there as we remember them and sing Christ is risen to them. If you remember the end of Brothers Karamazov, when they're in the cemetery and they're eating, because it's a, a very strong tradition, you go, not only do you pray for them, but you sit and you have a meal among the dead. 
Come, O assembly of the Orthodox, and with love let us praise the holy men, women, and children. Kids' Council is putting out lemonade today. They are helping to raise, and they are blessing the inheritance. They are accepting the inheritance, and they themselves, of their own free will and accord, are working for this vision. Those known to us, those known only to God, let us cry out to them, rejoice, all saints of North America, and pray to God for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.